This week's TribCast is sponsored by Experience Downtown Luxury at Fairmont Austin with exclusive rates and long-term stay offers for government employees. For more information, visit fairmontaustin.com. And OSIRIS-REx mission leaders at the University of Arizona have made successful contact with Bennu, a 4.5-billion-year-old asteroid. Learn more at osirisrex.arizona.edu. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for October 28th, 2020, the final Tribcast before the election, if you can believe it. I am Matthew Watkins, your host for this week, uh, managing editor for news and politics, and we've got an all-political Tribcast and an all-political team for you guys today. Joining us is executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Washington Bureau Chief Abby Livingston. Yeehaw. <laughs> and joining us from his car in his natural state as he chases John Cornyn around Texas is uh, politics reporter Tex- Patrick Svitek. Morning. Morning. So today we're just going to go through the races. Uh, this is our last chance to talk about them for this audience and just kind of run through what we're seeing, what we're expecting on election night. And I'm going to stop. start with the very top of the ballot, the presidential race where there's been a kind of flurry of activity in the last few days. We've seen um, news that Kamala Harris will be coming to Texas on Friday, making stops in McAllen, Fort Worth, and Houston, I believe. We've seen kind of a bevy of polls saying a whole bunch of different things, um, including a a couple that suggest that... uh, Joe Biden might actually be leading in the state. A few others showing uh, Trump with leads kind of up to 5%. But none of those polls that I'm aware of saying that there's kind of around the margin that Trump won Texas in 2016 with at the 9, 9% margin, 9 percentage point margin. And then we have, uh, in the last couple of days, two outlets, the Cook Political Report and NBC News, changing their map to say that Texas is a toss-up, which, you know, frankly, is pretty shocking to see this close to an election. Abby, I'm going to start with you. Is Texas a toss-up? Do you agree with this assessment? I think it's fair. I think it's it's going out on a limb, but I don't think these people are misguided. These are some of the smartest political brains in American politics. And so, um, and I've worked with some, all of them, basically. And so um, they know what they're doing. I am sure they're seeing polling, um, but I think this is something we've been covering. We've, I think the national media is catching up to where we've been on this and that we've seen um, beyond the polling just incredible party building in the state. And so this isn't like Biden and Harris campaign is parachuting into the state. There is an infrastructure of down-ballot candidates that has been building since election night 2016. And so um, I think Texas could be a surprise, but I think it's definitely behind uh, many, many other states on Biden's radar. But I I think the the most important thing right now, it's too late to really raise money. It's too late to really pull anything. The most valuable thing in a campaign right now is a candidate's time. And Kamala Harris is spending time in Texas, and that is a significant investment. 
Sure, yeah. Uh, that is a significant investment. We never did see Biden come to the state. We've seen Trump come to the state in this 20, or 2020 cycle, but it's been a while. Uh, we heard, you know, uh, you know, a Trump surrogate tell us uh, or uh, and other reporters over the weekend that, you know, he has no plans on coming here. We heard Governor Rick Perry say Trump will win Texas. Patrick, what do you think? Toss up or is that too, too uh uh, getting ahead of your people, getting ahead of themselves, and on Biden's chances. I would largely echo Abby and say that it's fair and certainly going out on a limb. But I guess I would just add maybe just a little droplet of, of pessimism to her take. Um, I think the state is still um, lean, lean Trump. Uh, if we if we're doing tilt categories, I would probably say a strong a strong tilt Trump. Um, you know, you mentioned the recent polls and. There have certainly been some um, recently, uh, just over the past uh, couple of days, that have given Democrats hope. Uh, but it's been kind of pick your own. We lost him. Sure, polling. I mean, there have been leads recently. And you lost me already. Yeah, you're you're back. You're back. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, the, the recent polling has kind of been pick your own adventure, and there have been some that have given you know that have given Democrats hope. But there's also been some recent independent polls too. That have given Trump um, a, a pretty, you know, healthy single-digit lead. Um, what's important to note, obviously, as you pointed out, is that none of these polls have given him anything, uh, you know, anything that I've seen close to the nine-point advantage that he had in 2016. Uh, so, if the question is, you know, is it going to be a tighter race than 2016? I think absolutely. All the polling uh, points toward that. Is the state going to flip um, to Joe Biden? I think that's a, a much uh, harder prediction for me to make at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think something to note here, and Abby, you've written this, is that um, it's unlikely that Texas is going to decide the presidential race, right? If, if, if Biden wins Texas, there's a decent chance it's going to be in a landslide. Um, you know, who knows? Like, maybe, you know, the Midwest goes uh, more toward Trump than, than we expect, and there's some kind of backdoor way where it matters. But ultimately... What we might be kind of looking at here is, you know, does if, if Texas goes in one way, it's it's kind of already a foregone conclusion of who wins the presidency. So in, in a lot of ways, maybe it doesn't matter that much whether it's a, a two point lead for Trump or, or Biden squeaks it through. But what does matter is that we're sitting here talking less than a week before the election and we can't say with certainty who's going to win Texas. And that in and of itself is a kind of dynamic shifting political event, both for the state and, you know, could have implications down the road nationally. Um, can I jump in? I, I think there's two things going on here. I, I think, well, Texas Democrats have been frustrated with the Biden campaign for not investing more. And I think it's the reason you laid out. And it may be they're sending Senator Harris to Texas to appease some of those upset folks, some of whom are members of Congress. And I, what I think is the difference between Joe Biden and Barack Obama is that Biden is a creature of Congress. And he was in Georgia yesterday. And Georgia sort of fits in the same category, but it costs a lot less. But there are two U.S. Senate seats in the ballot there. 
there's one Senate seat in the ball- on the ballot in Texas, and I think it's a much harder reach than Georgia. But I think what could also be happening here is this might be a sign of confidence beyond, and not just appeasement of Texas and Biden maybe looking ahead at trying to create a governing majority with down ballot U.S. House members and possibly the Senate race, although I'm still pretty skeptical that one will um, do, be anything but Cornyn. You know, if I can amplify on a point Abby made a minute ago, the Democrats have an infrastructure now. You know, one of the criticisms after the 2008 election when Democrats showed up in force in Texas, particularly in the Democratic primary, they had a bunch of names on their list that they never really fully exploited. And they were kind of criticized for that, I think correctly so, over the years. In 2016, they um, came in, they built their lists, they, they worked really hard. They had a great um, dose of money into their infrastructure and into their organization in the 2018 race behind uh, the the Beto Cruz race, uh, and they've taken that into this election. And I think you know they've got got some infrastructure on the on the ground. I'm a little bit with Abby's second point that they're sending Kamala Harris to Texas because they they smell a chance. Um, I don't think you waste. Uh, candidate's time, whether it's a presidential candidate or a vice presidential candidate, just to make somebody in Congress feel better. I mean, there's, you know, there's a uh, long history of disappointing people in Congress at election time and not sending money to their district or whatever it is. I think that they uh, see this as maybe this isn't a toss-up, maybe it's a slightly lean Republican, but it's so slight, maybe worth a chance. And it's not that Texas will win the race, but it is true that the Republicans can't win the race without Texas. And if you could take that away, you'd seal the night and that'd be that. So one thing that I've really been wondering about lately is it is it is true, it's hard to dispute. I think even the Republicans will dispute that Texas feels more battleground-ish, you know, up and down the ballot than it has, you know, this century, I would say. Um, but how much of that is Trump and how much of that is the state changing? Like, let's let's just assume for a second, you know, and I don't, I, don't, I don't mean to make this assumption because I think it's certain to happen, but let's just assume for a second that Biden wins the presidency and, and, and we kind of move into a different era of politics. Do we, how much do you think Texas reverts back to its more lean, Republican ways, or how much of this is part of a kind of ongoing shift of Texas to being more swing statey? Don't you think the generic race here is the Senate race? I think that's the one that's going to be, you know, the best indicator of where people are. You know, you've got two candidates in that race. I think you can safely say neither of them is particularly charismatic. They don't have a lot of people around them. Um, in the same way that the Cruz and O'Rourke race did. And they've both got really high numbers of people who don't have any real impression of them. If you look, if you ask people, what do you think of MJ Hagar? What do you think of John Cornyn? They both have kind of persistently high neutral numbers. So I think in some ways you're going to see that as a generic race. When we did polling, you know, a month ago, we asked a generic congressional question. Would you vote for a Democrat or Republican in your district for Congress and a generic legislative question. And the margins in those were seven and eight points. The margin in the Senate race was eight points. The presidential race is more of a referendum on a particular personality, I think. Yeah, I think one of the things we learned in 2018 from the Beto O'Rourke race is that there are some voters 
who seemed willing to split their ticket, right? There was a O'Rourke Abbott voter. And this time around, it seems very possible based on the polling that there's a certain segment of voters who might be Biden Cornyn voters. I mean, we'll see what the results say and things like that. But, you know, those voters, whether they're the same voters as the people in 2018 or not, we won't necessarily be able to tell. But those voters will be interesting to watch over the next, you know, four, eight years as to kind of where this state is going. I can jump in on that one as well. I think it's the answer is both. Um, I, after the election night 2016, we really were shocked with some of the down ballot numbers and that Hillary Clinton lost the state by only nine points compared to top double digits, which was the usual. But what I think the danger for Republicans is Donald Trump has activated um, political activism in the state unlike I've ever seen before. And the first time I really realized something interesting was going on was the Women's March when I think like 10,000 women showed up in downtown Fort Worth. And I've never heard of a pr uh, protest in Fort Worth on that scale. And so um, I think things were probably eventually going to move in this direction in Texas, but I think Trump sped it up. But the real test of this will be 2022, um, particularly if Trump doesn't win. Um, I think it'll be probably a tough year for Democrats, but that'll, that'll be the real test. Yeah, and go ahead, Patrick. I was going to say, just to build on what Abby said earlier, I mean, she mentioned in a previous question about the, uh, you know, long record of, of party building efforts in Texas that are leading up to this moment. Um, you know, regardless of whether Trump ends up being a kind of blip or, you know, anomaly in Texas's political history, I think there, no one would dispute that he has supercharged those uh, party building efforts. Again, they were happening, obviously, before he came along, but I think he supercharged them in a way um, that it's, it's hard to see that infrastructure, you know, reverting um, after November, uh, you know, uh, even if he loses. And so I think that he's had that impact, at least in terms of laying, helping Democrats, giving Democrats the motivation to lay that groundwork for the future. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the story of will Texas turn blue is Texas turning blue has been a story that we've all read and maybe some of us have written over the past 10 years. Um, and that, a lot of that was based on the state's shifting demographics, right? The, um, the growing uh, Hispanic population in particular. And the thing that has happened, you know, those trends continue. But, you know, something that maybe wasn't as expected is what's happening in the suburbs and how these suburbs have really kind of turned on Trump and the Republican Party and changed, you know, races uh, both what's going on in the presidency, but also what we'll talk about a bit later, which is the state house and the U.S. house. And, and, and that's the thing that has kind of accelerated this, it seems like. And that's also the thing that seems maybe the most uncertain about how sustainable that is. Will that continue in a post-Trump world whenever there is a post-Trump world? Patrick, we've talked a little bit about the Senate race already. You are, the reason you're in a car is because you're going to go out and watch and do some campaigning today. What are we seeing in that race? What's the, how does that feel less than a week out? Yeah, one of the big, I think, recent developments in the race is just this uh, last minute uh, spending spree by some national democratic outside groups who clearly see an opportunity. Um, two of these groups, Senate Majority PAC and uh, Future Forward USA um, have combined to, spell, uh, to spend well into the eight figures uh, well over $10 million uh, in the final two weeks of this race. Uh, and they clearly see an opportunity, even as we continue to see public polling, at least, 
um, that shows that Cornyn uh, has single-digit leads of, of varying sizes. There's maybe been a couple polls recently that has it a, a little tighter than that, well within the margin of error. Um, but, he, you know, all polls that we've seen have shown that he's in a better position than Trump is uh, statewide in Texas. And so the question is, 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 you know, what are these groups seeing that is prompting them uh, to spend uh, at this level at the very end uh, uh, to the point that, you know, I believe that they see a real opportunity here. Um, you know, they, they could be looking at their own polling, obviously. They could be looking at their analysis of our early vote turnout so far, which we've talked about and just overall is, is off the charts. Um, and so I think that is the, the big headline at the end of this. And this morning at after early voting in Austin, Corin himself said, you know, uh, the thing that worries him the most about how this election is ending uh, is this late Democratic outside spending. And I think it was a pretty relatively candid comment from him. And he said, you know, it's, it's unusual. I think he said, he said, I think Ted Cruz was the first guy who really dealt with this um, in, in recent, you know, political history in Texas in terms of this kind of surge at the end. Um, and he said that, you know, Cruz was, you know, outspent uh, more than two to one by these players and uh, in his race in 2018 and Corin expects to be outspent by more than two to one as well. And so um, he's clearly uh, at least publicly voicing concern over uh, this, this late democratic spending surge. Do, do we agree that in terms of the things that Democrats are excited about in the state, whether it's the presidential race, the U.S. House Congress and the Senate race, that maybe this is the one that is the biggest reach for them on Election Day? I would concur with that. I, yeah. I think I think there's probably some Biden Cornyn voters. But if, if John Cornyn loses, that is going to be, I think, a bigger deal in American politics than Texas at the going D at the presidential level. Yeah, I think I it was, he's, he's the firewall. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit different this year because we don't have straight ticket voting. So, you know, you're not going to send as many Republicans or Democrats kind of automatically in the direction of whoever's at the top of the ticket. You know, if, if people like your candidate at the top of the ticket on a straight party vote, that's good for you um, and vice versa. So, you know what the what I think some of the down ballot and mid ballot Republicans are hoping is that you know however Trump performs, Cornyn performs pretty well, and stems the tide. Um, and I, I I'm looking at members of Congress on that, at the statewide starting with the Railroad Commission and through the courts, and then you know I think um, as you get down into the legislative races that'll thin out a little bit. But um, I think I think Cornyn is um, going to be viewed as their protector here. One, one thing I'll add, too, from something that he's mentioned before and mentioned again this morning, and I think it totally illustrates how striking this election cycle is in Texas. You know, he noted uh, a lot has changed since the last time he was on the ballot in 2014. It is worth noting when he was last on the ballot in 2014, there were under five million votes total <laughs> in his entire race. Um, and wow. we're still doing early voting in 2020 and we're approaching we're well over seven million early votes. So we're already well surpassing in our early voting this cycle, the total number of votes cast in Cornyn's last re-election race. And so he's in just totally, totally new territory compared to 2014. All right. We, now we're going to turn our focus now to the state house and U.S. house races. But first, let's pause for a message from our sponsors. Support comes from Austin Community College 
helping Central Texans get back to work with 50% off fast-track certificate programs for in-demand jobs. Learn more at austincc.edu slash fasttrack. And effective. 74% of voters say TV advertising is most likely to get their attention. See how you can reach Texas voters today. Download our ebook at effectv.com slash political. Okay, so we talked about the big ticket races. Now let's get into the races that have us political excited, the, the congressional and the legislative races. Abby, I see you grinning already. We've got, uh, let's start with the U.S. House. 12 congressional battlegrounds. We can debate how much many of those are kind of truly, truly battlegrounds. But the parties, the national parties getting involved in two seats held by Democrats and 10 seats held by Republicans. What are you seeing right now? Where Where is the action? What 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 has the most attention from the, the politicos in the state? Well, it, it looks like the two Democrats who Republicans were targeting, um, Colin Allred of Dallas and Lizzie Fletcher of Houston, um, are probably going to be okay. Um, I'm sure their opponents will disagree with that, but they're, they're, they seem to be stable. Um, I, I made a round of calls yesterday, and it's, it's interesting. Um, Republicans have been in panic mode, I would say, in July and in September. And they've a couple of them who I spoke to yesterday felt better yesterday than they felt in a while. There's a sense that maybe Republicans are coming back home. Um, that said, I'm, I'm just skeptical of if internal polling is on point this cycle in either direction. Um, but I think the debate is it's probably not a good year for Republicans. The question is how bad of a year will it be? And I think both sides have raging analytical debates about it. Um, I think the two key races to watch are Texas 24, which is Kenny Marchant's district, where, um, Former Irving Mayor Beth Van Dyne is running against um, former Carrollton School Board member Candace Valenzuela. And um, down in Sugarland, uh, former diplomat Shri Kulkarni is running against Patrick, correct me, current Sheriff Troy Nels. Yes, right. Um, and so um, I kind of put those two districts together because they're both similar in that those, they're suburban. I think there's a, once you start getting past those two districts where Democrats are on offense, there are often really strong rural stretches in those districts. And one Republican explained to me those could be kind of hard for Democrats to get because the rural areas are so pro-Trump. That's a very potent countervote to what's happening in the cities. Um, districts like Wendy Davis and Chip Roy in Texas 21, it's got... Austin, San Antonio, and then a huge stretch of um, hill country. Um, and there's several others like that. I, I think the two main ones to watch are those two suburban ones. And I, I think those will be the most competitive. And if this goes beyond those races, I think it's going to be quite a year in Texas politics. Or it could be just very stable and Democrats just make small gains. And, you know, we see how things look in the next decade. Yeah. I, I, go ahead. Go. I was going to say, Abby, you did not mention Texas 23 in that list. Is that because uh, that... I don't like <laughs> that one is the hardest one to guess. And so I never like to. Um, uh, so that's Will Hurd's old seat. And um, that um, uh, former Air Force intelligence officer, Gina Ortiz Jones, is running against um, uh, retired naval intelligence officer. I think cyber. He's super smart. Uh, Tony Gonzalez. And um 
I never get that district right. Um, either I, I like last cycle, I was just assured Will Hurd would win by big numbers and he won narrowly. And every year it's just, I can never quite get the feel of it. And so I just kind of put it in its own special category. So that's why. Patrick, what are you seeing in these races? Yeah, you mentioned there being a 12-seat battlefield. You know, sitting here today, it, it looks, you know, and this is not ruling out the possibility that these other seats can flip, but if you look at where the lion's share of all the national outside investment is sitting here today, in just four seats, including the ones that, that Abby mentioned, there's it's in the 23rd district, the, the open will herd seat. It's in the 24th district. Open Kenny Martin for re-election. And it's in the 22nd district, uh, the open, the open Pete Olson seat. It's really those right now. That is where, um, you know, this congressional battlefield, I think, is being most intensely fought in Texas. And those are obviously all seats where <laughs> the Republicans are on defense. And so, again, it, it, that certainly doesn't preclude the possibility that any of these other seats could flip or that they're, you know, being hardly hard fought in other ways. But if you look at where the national outside groups are placing their bets right now. I think it's it's largely in those four districts. Patrick, yeah, I'm pretty. You, I was going to say you, you cut out very briefly there. Can you say those four districts really quickly one last time? Yeah, the four districts are the 23rd, the Open Will Hurd seat, the 24th, the Open Kenny Marchant seat, um, the 22nd, the Open Pete Olson seat, and the 21st, where Chip Roy is running for re-election. Go ahead, Ross. Yeah, I'd pretty much agree with that list. I think the open seats are the ones most likely to flip to the Democrats. Uh, the two I'm watching beyond that are, you know, two, two and a half are the Chip Roy seat where he's facing Wendy Davis, the Van Taylor seat up in Collin County, um, and the uh, Roger Williams seat, um, which is Roger Williams versus uh, Julie Oliver. Uh, that's the least likely of the bunch, but you know, those are really the only ones on my list. I think 12 seats uh, was always kind of crazy optimistic. Um, and, you know, I guess it got donors excited. Um, and I agree with Abby that the two Democratic seats seem to be pretty much locked in now. Um, I think uh, both of the Democrats are going to be safe this time. The Ross, you mentioned the Van Taylor seat, which is one that I find particularly interesting just because that one really kind of came onto people's radar late. The uh, um, and, and Collin County, you know, something seems to be going on there in terms of, you know, I, I used to cover Collin County for the Dallas Morning News uh, not too long ago, and it was the the Republican stronghold. You know, I remember right. the the um, the Democratic county chair up there, you know, blowing up my phones all the time trying to get more coverage and just kind of being like, you're, you know, your candidates don't stand a chance. And now here we are, you know, Van Taylor sweating a little bit. You know, I, I agree that it may not be in that kind of top tier of races, but it's it's interesting to see what's happening up there for sure. Yeah, it's somebody, something got into the water supply up there um, because, you know, like you said, it's turned in the last couple of elections. You see it really first in the Texas legislative races, Matt Shaheen, Jeff Leach, some races like that. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is happening to suburbs in the Dallas area, certainly in the Austin and San Antonio area, is that um, the cities are growing quickly. The real estate's expensive and people are moving into, you know, around Austin, they're moving into Williamson and Hayes County. And, and those counties that used to be red, red, red are turning 
more and more purple, and in some cases blue. I think Collin County is another example of that. It's also worth noting about the, the district is that uh, depending on which metric you use, it is one of the most or uh, you know the most educated congressional districts in the country, still represented by a Republican congressperson. And if we've learned anything in the Trump era, it's that there is this there is this big correlation between these congressional districts, how educated they are, and how much they support the president. And these, in terms of whether they're they're shifting away from their previous Republican allegiances, and so you can see how the president's underperformance in this district is a big problem. Could be a big problem for Van Taylor. Right. And Ross, as you mentioned, there's some state house seats up there that, uh, you know, Jeff Leach, Matt Shaheen stand out as, as candidates who, who might be uh, sweating out election night. Let's transition to the, the state house. Um, again, a, a big battlefield, uh, you know, at least as how Democrats identify it. They need right. nine seats to flip and gain control of the chamber for the first time in a long time. How are you feeling about the possibility of that happening? I think, I think nine seats would be an extraordinary night, and I think it's a little bit of a long shot. Um, they're trying to improve by nine seats on their best year, 2018, in a couple of decades. They won 12 seats two years ago. Uh, they won uh, three or four of those, and you can argue about which three or four, but they won three or four seats that... Um, I know the Republicans didn't expect to lose, and I think some of the Democrats were surprised to win. And I think, you know, the first thing they've got to do in this election is defend all of the seats that they've already won successfully and improve on that by nine seats. I think, you know, like I said, I think that's probably a reach. It's possible. I mean, if you if you started at the top of the ticket and Joe Biden won, I think, you know, you're having kind of a 500-year flood. And in a 500-year flood, you could get those nine seats. I think it's much more likely that you end up with the Democrats getting something short of that. And either way, you're going to have a Texas House that's, you know, within a couple of votes of being a Republican or a Democratic majority. You're going to get a coalition speaker, and it's going to be a break on a very conservative Senate and a conservative governor. Either way. Yeah, we've talked uh, a little bit earlier about uh, voters being willing to split their tickets. And, you know, that I think is a big factor here this time, because as has frequently been mentioned, there were nine U.S. or sorry, state house districts that uh, Beto won in 2018 that are held by Republicans right now. And you have candidates like Sarah Davis in Houston or Angie Chin Button in, in uh, Richardson, where you know, all indications are that Trump is deep, deep underwater in those districts. And but there also have been indications in the past, you know, particularly in the Sarah Davis district, but elsewhere, that there are voters who are willing to kind of vote R in the state house and, and D at the top of the ticket. And, you know, adding to that this time around is the elimination of straight ticket balloting. So, you know, will there be some voters who won't even make it that far in their ballot? We'll see. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting night for sure. If, could I jump in and add a couple things on that from looking from a distance? Sure. Um, so I think what's fascinating about the state house races is that often they're layered underneath some of these congressional races. And I interviewed um, Wendy Davis last week, and she said she'd feel pretty good um, even if she lost. And then, um, but the the state ledge seats underneath her.
Um, and on top of that, what I just find fascinating is every time I log on to Twitter, I see some famous <laughs> celebrity like Julia Louis-Dreyfus or Benjamin McKenzie, who went to Austin High, raising money for obscure candidates. And my understanding is, is that money just trickles in in $7, $10 increments to some of these House candidates um, all day long. Well, so Abby, Abby had this super smart story about the middle of the ballot and the money in the middle of the ballot powering the top of the ballot. And I, I think there's a lot of that going on. It's kind of an extension of what you're talking about. There's more money in some of these Texas House races than we've seen in the past in some congressional races. I mean, it's, you know, they're really fighting for, in, in particular, for congressional map making ability during the next legislative session. But you've got national, you know, funding going into these provincial races, right? It's just very interesting year that way. Patrick, you had an interesting story over the weekend about how one thing that's giving Republicans some optimism is the fact that they've been out in much greater numbers, knocking on people's doors, doing face-to-face -face campaigning. You know, what is traditionally viewed as what wins you these legislative seats where the candidates might otherwise not know who you are when you get to the ballots. How much do you think you know, Democrats, as we, as many know, have, have been more reluctant to do this because of the coronavirus. How much of a difference do you think that will play here? Well, you know, I think Republicans certainly believe it'll make a big difference. And to be clear, you know, they're facing a lot of headwinds up and down the ballot this cycle. And so, um, you know, not to be too cynical, but they are certainly trying to find some kind of bright spot here in terms of how they've tactically um, navigated this election cycle. Um, you know, they believe that their willingness to more quickly and more aggressively resume in-person campaigning, both door knocking and other forms of in-person campaigning, is going to pay off for them. And again, this is not to suggest that, you know, there's no Democrat door knocking. It's about, you know, the Republicans getting back on the on the saddle much more quickly and much more aggressively. Um, you know, the Greg Abbott's campaign um, says that in all the state house races that they're involved in, all the Republican candidates have been door knocking for a long time. Um, you know, there are obviously risks to this. We're still in the middle of a pandemic, um, but they think it's going to it's going to make the difference. Uh, and at least at the state house level, I think is where you hear the most confidence that this um, dynamic is, is going to help Republicans. All right. So let's let me ask the group before we we leave. What do we think is a more likely scenario? The Democrats flipping the house or Democrat Biden winning Texas? Ross, go to you. Wow, that, that's a good one. Um, I think it's more likely, you know, I think those things are paired. I think, you know, if Biden wins, then you flip the house. So I'll say, I'll say it's more likely that you, uh, more likely that you flip the house than that Biden wins. That seems to be what a, a, a good number of people think. Do you, do you agree with that assessment, uh, Patrick? I do. I think it's, I, I would, you know, echo Ross saying that they're in some ways uh, linked, but I would, it's more likely Democrats flip the state house than Biden wins Texas. I concur. Which is amazing, you know, given that. Uh, no dissent. <laughs> yeah, no dissent. I, I agree for the record too, um, which is pretty amazing given that Republicans, you know, drew these lines. I feel so validated. Thank you guys. <laughs> All right. Now, should, I, I've been debating whether we should now turn the mic over to Abby for a minute to um, 
to defend Tarrant County from all the people who have been calling it a suburban county uh, these last few days. (laughs) (laughs) She's speechless. Speechless. Fort Worth is like the size of Washington, D.C. It is a major city in America. I think it's like the seventh largest city. We have a skyline and we have our own suburbs. So there. <laughs> All right. You know, I, I think it's a, I think it's a hybrid. I think, you know, Tarrant County has a it's, it's metropolitan if you're in Fort Worth, but the rest of Tarrant County behaves like Collin and Denton. It's I, Tarrant County has everything in it. It is, I think, one of the most interesting. <laughs> we have rural. We have city. We have suburban. That's a county right outside of Dallas, right? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Next next week we can fight about El Paso County. That's right. right. Okay, well, um, thank you guys so much. It is surely going to be a very interesting election night, and I can't wait to see what happens, and we'll be back next week to, to talk about it. So thank you to Ross, Patrick, and Abby. Thank you to our sponsors, Fairmont, Austin, the University of Arizona, Austin Community College and Effective. We'll see you next week.